So, did you want to, uh, before I click it back on, do you want to um, go over this or are we done with this? No, that's, you- that's good. I mean, some of the stuff I highlight, we don't have to read every word I highlighted. Um, that's okay. the gist of this document. <laughs> that we're going to hook it up to the, the big power lines, but, you know, don't worry about where the electricity actually comes from. Okay, so let me ask you this quick. This was, this document here, which is the Electric Highway Study Summary Sheet, uh, National Grid. This is for... Uh, does, does this have to do with that Northeast region stuff we were talking about in episode 80 and 88, or is this the whole No, country? this is totally separate. Yeah, this is totally separate. Um, they're, 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 they're testing this, basically. And again, what they're telling you is to don't buy a gas car because you don't want to use fossil fuels. So buy an electric car and then hook it up to the power grid that is supplied by fossil fuels. That, now, let me ask, because uh, this is a real question. If you're talking to some, uh, you know, just a well-natured tree hugger type, the type of person that would have went out and bought their Prius, you know, starting 10 years ago, that thinks they mm-hmm. are saving the planet by doing this, right? They, do you think those people just don't actually know this, right? They don't know it. They now, what know. happens if you say to them, did you know that 74% of the electricity that you will be putting into your car is coming from fossil fuels. I mean, well, what, it depends what are they on where saying? you are in the country. It, oh, it just based like in, in the, the, one of those charts, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some places in the country, it's coal. Some places in the country, it's more nuclear. Other places, it's hydroelectric. Where I'm at, I'm on hydroelectric because I'm right near a, uh, a dam on a big lake that's a hydroelectric uh, plant right there. And I mean, so it depends on where you are. And when you're talking, if you want to wake people up, you can't be combative or confrontational. You have to ask probing questions that gets them to think. And that's the only way you're going to get. It's not an argument. It's you have to ask probing questions that make them think. For example, oh, that's cool that you bought an electric vehicle. By the way, what's the what's the you know where does the electricity actually come from in your area? Mm-hmm. Make them go look it up. That's it might get idea. them to actually physically look it up. That way, you're not confronting them at all. You're not saying anything. You're not saying, "Hey, you're an idiot. You're a dope." You know, you just pro. It's a probing question. Make them go look it up. Like I was in a. Uh, when I was out in Dallas, I was in a Clean Juice, which is an organic juice uh, shop and, and like smoothie shop. And on the wall, it was, and they had something written, some scientific data point written on the wall that said, if you consume non-organic food, you're consuming like 16 pounds of glyphosate a year. And so I asked the young lady who was probably in her mid-20s, <laughs> I said, don't you find it interesting that there's a big push by big corporations and uh, to to get back to regenerative far- and organic farming of foods, and it's the same corporations or corporate groups that poison the soil with Monsanto's glyphosate in the first place. That's a question. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe you think I already have an opinion, but she didn't. She was making my smoothie. Uh, <laughs> her comment, her answer was. Well, I think it's just more young people teaching the older generations. So instantly I knew not to go any further. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She has no clue what I'm talking about. 
so why why even push the envelope right i mean because mm. because then it's going to be confrontational and neither one of us are going to get anywhere exactly exactly but right, you so, can ask yeah. probing questions like when i go into a bank branch i ask a probing question you know you can get all kinds of intel if you know your banker you know like the teller that told me about the massive increase in fraud uh at the banks so far the increase is so much so that I've told the story on Hotwire on Mike's show that I was sitting at home years ago. I think it was around, I don't know, 2012, 14, something like that. So eight to 10 years ago, I was sitting at home on a Friday night. I get a call from my bank fraud department. And this is a small you know, state credit union um, asking me about these transactions. I <laughs> Did you make them? I get, I'm like, no, it doesn't sound like it. Let me get online. I look, nope. $3,500 had evaporated in like two, two hours. Um, and they were all like 200 bucks, 220 bucks. They were California, New York. They were, and they had an SQ next to them. So I assumed it was square. Anyways, by Saturday morning, I had that money back in my bank account. Well, this teller is telling me that because the fraud has increased so much, they don't do that anymore. Meaning you don't, that $3,500, I would have had to wait 30, 60, 90 days to get it back. This is why I told you and I told my daughter and I would tell your, your audience, stop using your debit card. There was another article that came out recently uh, talking about cybercrime is going to increase in the next five years uh, 500% by 2028. 500%. Well, okay, yeah. again, go back to what we talked about in the beginning. What's the end game? The end game is a CBDC chip in your hand, Right. We're, there are we already know about the war on cash it's dirty you know you don't want to use cash you can be robbed well now there's a war on plastic cybercrime is stealing your debit card number stealing your credit card number and running up all these this fraud fraudulent transactions that you then can't get the money back quick enough so okay well what's the solution the chip in your hand yep. but in the <laughs> interim don't use your debit card if you use your debit card, that money comes out of your bank account instantly and you can't get it back for 90 days. It's easier to get it back on a credit card. But 90 days, I mean, think about my daughter's 22. You know, think about her. If, if her bank account got drained, what's she supposed to do? She's a college kid. What's she supposed to do? Yep. That's why I told the audience. I mean, it, it was uh, four or five months ago. My wife had over $10,000 stolen out of her bank account yep. through a uh, wire transfer. And this all stemmed to, I think, a scam that was being run inside T-Mobile. And so what they were doing is they were creating a digital SIM card, uh, and then mm -hmm. all of a sudden your phone stops working. And you're like, what the hell is going on? My phone isn't working. Next thing you know, you can't get into your email account. But my email's not right. working. And the next thing you know, when you finally get in a day later, you realize that your savings <laughs> your savings account is missing a lot of money. It all came through a wire transfer. You're like, I've never sent a wire in my life. You know, my wife isn't a business. She works for somebody else. She's never sent a wire. And um, it took uh, three and a half months to get the money back. And that was one, because I had a connection into the sheriff here. Was it, and so the 
uh, Sheriff's Department did a fantastic job of tracking really quickly. And then, because of Mike Moore having worked in City, he gave me some tips. And then my mother, who had worked in the fraud department at City on the credit card side, but she knew how to escalate cases to yeah. different levels. And I've told the story on here. If I did not have that inside information, we may have never recovered that money back because they put you into a loop with some Filipino on the phone who literally sounds like they're underwater. <laughs> like the, the phone lines are always broken up. They barely speak English. Uh, and if you don't know the words to say, I want this escalated to this department and this thing and that thing, th- they have you, you'll be waiting for the rest of your life. And I ended up, running into someone after this was resolved who had worked pretty high up believe it or not in city total coincidence and this woman she was a indian woman she told me oh you're lucky you got it back <laughs> i said oh she goes they're 99 of people give up at stage two and they never get their money back and i said wow, wow. she goes and it's only gonna get worse as cybercrime goes up now who knows if she said high enough level to know what we're talking about but i've said to the audience they have the rfid chip inside of your credit and debit card now that i could build a 200 dollars device and i could walk into a checkout area at the grocery store self-checkout and start stealing people's information immediately now, with these companies spending billions of dollars on technology that's supposed to protect people from cyber theft, identity theft, hacking, all this, you don't think is they could it? have developed an or RFID is it to chip? drive them into the CBDC? <laughs> that's always my belief, is you create an environment that allows the street hackers to actually hack and commit crime, and then that's what ends up driving people into the CBDC, just like we talked about with the city of New York. You villainize the cops, you put them in a horrible position where they no longer want to go out to a domestic violence case because last thing they want to do is have to manhandle somebody and get caught on video and their life is ruined and their house gets burned to the ground and you create that environment you incentivize crime because the police aren't out there arresting people you say that you can't get arrested unless you steal over a thousand dollars to know you have people walking into stores and literally just throwing jackets over their arms and walking out and then boom people get driven into the idea of the ai facial recognition dystopian policing people will welcome the cameras and the facial technology surveillance state when there's that much crime it's crazy with this banking stuff it's it's real simple it's really simple you know what can't be hacked you know what can't be stolen digitally cash yep that's why i told the audience that you wanted me to mention it to them uh Yesterday, I said, you know, like Jim said, if you go to your bank, that's the safest way. Take out whatever you need for the month. And, like, and you said, you can use a check, you can use a money order, a cashier's check to pay certain bills. But if you need $1,000 this month, you're going to need to buy groceries and gas and other things. Transact cash. in the cash for all the small transactions. The, every time you're tapping, you're inserting the chip, or you're swiping your debit card around town. You go to the gas station, you run over to 7-Eleven, you go in the grocery store, you go to the liquor store, whatever it is. Every time you do that, you're opening yourself up to being hacked at this point yep so you take out the money at the beginning of the week get your money back from your debit card it's why would you ever use it yeah exactly it offers no no protection whatsoever hey i just wanted to ask you this 
before we move on to the next one, because you're talking about this, and th- this is all part of solutions. You're always pushing people to use uh, the smaller banks. Can you just explain what kind of bank? Because I've had people reach out that they should be looking for. Yeah, you want a non-Fed member bank, so they're chartered under the state regulate regulatory body. Um, there is a link, a searchable database link on the FDIC's website that I stumbled across. Um, Dustin, I'll just resend it to you. You can post it or you can share okay. it somehow. Uh, but yeah, if you go to the FDIC's website, there is a there's a way to search it and find a bank um, like that's that might be simpler, but it doesn't have the entire list. I found the entire searchable database list on the FDIC's website um, broken out by uh, non-Fed member banks only. Now, there's a couple of them that are really, really big uh, that are, you know, part of the World Economic Forum crap, but you don't want to be a part of them. But outside of them, um, there's a handful that are really big. But other than that, you know, and then obviously there's a lot that are too small, right? If the bank only has a million dollars in assets, maybe you don't want to be with that bank. <laughs> you know they're too small they could you know poof and and they could go out of business right but find go somewhere in the middle basically yeah and then and uh just so the audience understands why do you recommend uh going with a state chartered bank and not a fed member bank so the bis like every industry they the way that that these technocrats are going to control everything is they they want consolidation at the top Look at what what part of the scheme of COVID was to shut down small mom and pop businesses and drive all the traffic into the large companies, right? Like you were not allowed to open a small locally owned pharmacy, but CVS and Walgreens were were open. Target was open. Walmart was open, right? So they were driving business to the large corporations. Same with banking. Right now, 60% of the deposits are controlled by the top I think 10 banks and, or maybe it's 40%. I can't remember. It's either, I, I haven't, it's been a while since I looked it up, but so they want more, all the majority of the assets controlled by the, those 10 banks that the bank of international settlements and the fed can control. Right. So you have to be in a bank that's not controlled by that system. And there's lots of them. I think there's 2,800 of them. So there's tons of banks to pick from. You don't have to live in that state where the bank is. It's not as convenient. You won't have a branch, but again, if you're not using a debit card, right, uh, and you only want to get cash, maybe that bank, out-of-state bank, is not for you unless you visit that place, you know, fairly often to get cash. Uh, or you can, uh, I don't know, if you can cash a check somewhere, write yourself a check, and you can cash it somewhere. It might cost you a little fee, but maybe use that bank for paying your bills. And have another local non-Fed member bank where you take your cash out of if you want more than one. This is going to be interesting to see because obviously there's an association somewhere of state chartered banks or non-Fed member banks uh, of how they're going to end up bribing these guys into or giving the guys who matter golden parachutes to get them out of the way. Uh, if they're going to try to push for CBDC. Because like I told you, you see the battle between the central banks and the so-called private sector banks, even like Credit Suisse right now, where they're promising these guys that they can have certain things if they go along with it. You know, and I, I'm wondering, because the, the, these are the type of people, like for instance... Jim, there won't just, be a bribe. There won't be a bribe. If they get the CBDC across, 
the uh-huh. finish line and as legal tender, which if you look at John Titus's most recent video on his best evidence, one word, best evidence YouTube channel, mm. it's about the fact he pulls up the, the federal law. Cash is legal tender. Okay. Right. Cash is legal tender. Coins are legal tender. Everything else is not. Your debit card, your credit card, they're acceptable means because the other party accepts them. Right. But they are not legal tender. In order for CBDC to get into this country, it has to be legal tender. They got to change the laws. Now, once they get that, okay, then they can basically put all the small banks out of business. It'll just happen. Yeah. It'll just happen. Right. They won't need to bribe them. So, the, but so, but but when you're talking about this, the only way they can get this done, they have to get the puppets, the politicians who work for them, are on the payroll through the lobbyists and the PACs and everything else. But yep. those are the guys at the end of the day who worry the most about having their house burned down. So, so they have to get them on board to agree to pass a law like that. That's what you're saying. Which, which I, I said, I, I found the original text from the first stimulus bill that actually had the CBDC and digital wallet language in it. It was removed actually at the last minute uh, and taken out. But um, that's what they have well, to be able to do. And those puppets have to be willing to do it and know that they're not going to be pulled out of their houses and lit on fire in their yards, right? So that big omnibus bill that just passed, and I, th- I think he signed it, I, I can't remember, it passed last week, mm. right? Or it was the, the National Defense, maybe it was the NDAA one the week before. I don't know. They always two. love to jam stuff in those, yeah. Well, nobody is talking about this except one person. Nobody. Corey Lynn at Corey'sDigs.com. Mm. Look her up. She's pretty good. She's been on Catherine Austin Fitch. She's been on Whitney Webb. I mean, she's good. She's a fantastic investigative journalist. She wrote about a couple of things in that bill that are advancing the CBDC technocrat as as legalizing it here in this country. Yeah, so they're slowly sliding it in. Yep. All right, I'll take a look at that. That's interesting. I can email you the link to the article. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll take a look at that. Uh, because, like I said, I, I mean, did you have any idea that they almost forced it through in the first stimulus bill? Yes. Yeah, I found that when I was researching the company Consensus, because they were essentially bragging about how close it was, and then all these guys in the Ethereum world were all, you know, disappointed that it didn't get forced through. That's how I ended up coming across it. I'm like, well, wow. and, and look, people, the audience here needs to know this. You know, many of the politicians; these bills are so big, they're thousands of pages. Many of them don't know all the stuff in this. And they don't write it, and neither do their uh, their their assistants. They don't write it either. It's written by the industry. You know, when you read that book by Anthony Sutton, you will find that the Federal Reserve Act was written by whom? The bankers. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah, and I and I think it's a good. This thing. has been going on a hundred years. <laughs> this is yeah. not new. Yeah, and I think folks that have been paying attention for at least, I would say, since Obama's presidency should know this by now, too, because it all came out during 
the uh, Obamacare Affordable Care Act, people started learning, oh, it's the lobbyists from the insurance companies, from the big pharma industry. They get together, they write the bills, and then they hand them to their guys inside the legislative staffer's office there that work for the congressman. And then they basically take those, they bind them together, and that becomes the bill. Well, that was news to me. I had no idea that crap was going on 100 years ago. No, because you, 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 in your own mind, you'd think a hundred years ago that a bill was one page. You know, that's what that's what modern history would have you believe. Where they go, yeah, well, if, if we did it like a hundred years ago, where a bill was one page and everything was open and honest. Yeah. No, yep. it has, hasn't been. I mean, I I didn't even realize. And I've studied the the founding, but not like in super depth, you know, until Legal Man told the story. And I went and looked it up when they were basically debating the Constitution. They did that behind closed doors and everything. Nobody actually knows what happened in the room. It's There's no right. actual written record of it. But that's not what you would believe if you went to the public uh, school system here in the United States. No, or the higher education college system. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we got to So, up. hey, in two hours, we've got through two documents. Well, I was going to say, we've got 10 minutes here. I, I've got let's, up on the screen. Do, I've got this 50, up. Let's go through it. Let's go through this. 50 countries uh, announced bold commitment to protect at least 30% of the world's land and Oh, ocean. yeah, there we go. There's that 30 by 30. <laughs> it's called oh, okay. the One Planet Summit on, for Biodiversity. Let's yeah. take a look at this. And it was the High Ambition Coalition. Again, an organization I had never heard of until I saw it in a document. And I go, what the heck is that? I think it was a BIS document I saw that in. I went and looked it up, and that's where I found the 30 by 30. Okay, and 30 by 30 is taking control of 30% of the planet's oceans by 2030. And agricultural land. Okay, so it's oceans and agriculture uh, together. Yep. Yep. Okay. So mm-hmm. what they're t- so let me just ask you because you explained it before how this is going to work when they start trading this stuff on the stock market, but who actually is taking control? Of, like who actually gets in control of it? Who who controls it? It'll, it'll be the IMF or the World Bank or somebody of that nature because it's done through debt. Uh, it goes into conservation. I don't know who's going to control the conservation yet. There's probably tons of these organizations that, but it all funnels upward to the UN. Um, and again, this is a way they're going to create a market for carbon credits, and they're going to already own, excuse me, a lot of carbon credits. So they're going to increase the value of their wealth through carbon credits. This is a way for them to steal thirty percent of the land and oceans in the southern hemisphere, predominantly and earn themselves a ton of money. And so here's an alphabetical list of the 50 countries. You know, I think I highlight a few of the countries, but if you if you read these countries, Angola, Antigua, Bar, Bar, what is it, Barbados, Ar, Armenia, Australia, so Australia is a big country, Austria, Belgium, Belize, they're predominantly smaller, poorer countries in the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, so, okay, so basically the grift here, as we mentioned earlier, they get in control of, let's just say they control 30% of the oceans worldwide. Let's just pretend they did that, right? Now they're sitting on it, and they're using that as their carbon carbon offset. 
Is there carbon offset? Well, it's not just that. So they get 30% of the ocean. They've got a computer model that they built to value the carbon or the value that 30% of the ocean at whatever, a quadrillion dollars. And it's IPO'd on the stock market at a quadrillion dollars. Now their personal wealth just went up a lot. <laughs> and, and they're going to make even more money on the carbon credits that that 30% of the ocean generates by not actually fishing. So they, they'll say, they'll figure out a way to calculate, just like the graph, going back to 1750 instead of 1979, they'll figure out a way to calculate the amount of carbon it is is emitted into the atmosphere for catching one tuna in the ocean and they'll value that under again under their lock and key computer model nobody will be able to see it or question it because science is settled and then they could create value for that carbon credit for themselves okay so let, let, let yeah so let's put it in simple terms let, let's say i owned 10 acres in West Virginia, right? And I was going to farm that land. So they are going to send me, let's say my carbon bill every year is going to cost me $10,000, they say, that I'm admitting in carbon. So instead, and I'd have to be a big guy to be able to be in on this scam. So instead, I do nothing with my land. I just leave it. So I'm going to get $10,000 in a credit that I can then sell that carbon credit to someone else who's a so-called polluter. This is what Elon Musk does with Tesla. And then I make $10,000 a year by doing nothing with the land. So what they're going to do is go steal land using all their uh, economic terrorist uh, schemes. Yeah, all the debt traps. They're going to go steal the land, then allow nothing to be done on the land, and then issue themselves carbon credits credits that they can sell back into the system to other people that are actually fishing (laughs) and and not only the carbon credits get issued to themselves to to then go sell to somebody else they get to value the oceans that you you know that are just being an ocean Uh, and it's ipo on the stock market again some arbitrary value that has no meaning well, I was going to say it's arbitrary value with no meaning, especially because they're not doing anything with it. So you can own an ocean, no. but what's the ocean actually producing? If the ocean well, isn't producing, producing a product or a service, but it's well, also in, in their value, it adds economic. In their mind, it adds economic value to the planet by not emitting carbon. Right, but that's by what offsetting. Right, right. But essentially, it becomes the an other offset. scientists yeah. will tell you that the largest emitter of CO two on the planet is the oceans, by far. Yeah, Think exactly. about all the methane gas that bubbles that come up through the ocean floor. You know, have, has anybody ever looked into why ships and planes go down in the uh, in the Bermuda Triangle? It's the methane gas releasing. Yeah, I had actually watched a documentary or something on basically like whales, and it had to do with all, if all the whales were gone, there basically wouldn't be. It had to do with something with. Uh, you know the waste that they so, release so now whale, and that bubbles whale to the farts top. Are bad, like cow farts. No, this actually had to do with the fact that if we killed all the whales, there wouldn't be enough carbon emitted. It all becomes part of the balance of our ecosystem with the oxygen that we breathe in and the carbon we release. And like, it was really good. Uh, it was like a mini documentary on it, talking about how you need all this carbon released from the ocean in order to keep the balance. You know, so well. But it, it wasn't. This, was, this was not it, propaganda designed to uh, to to get away yeah. with the thirty thirty plan. Uh, but no, I mean this is uh, 
this is crazy. I, I would love to see the guys in action in the cloakrooms that come up with these plans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so why 30%? Well, t- they tell you right here, the natural world provides critical resources that sustain all life on earth, and including human life, from the air we breathe and the water we drink to the food we eat and ecosystem services that counter counteract with damaging the damaging impacts of climate change. But evidence shows that the ongoing and rapid loss of natural areas across the world, I assume by natural areas they mean the Great Barrier Reef, but what they don't tell you is it's actually growing. Um, it's, it's no longer shrinking, it's growing. That came out, I think, a year or two ago. And the greening of the planet, like there's more green you know, plants and trees across the planet with all the, the CO2. Anyways, they don't, they don't talk about that. Uh, so this, it poses a grave threat to the health and security of all living things. Scientists have documented that humans have severely altered 66% of our ocean and 75% of our land areas. I'd love to see how they calculated that. Um, <laughs> they won't tell you. Researchers warn this loss of nature imperils our clean air and clean drinking water and survival of wildlife, the prosperity of communities, and our ability to protect ourselves from the impacts of changing climate. I'm going to read this and then i got a comment, okay? Uh Once our natural world is gone, there's no way to recreate the $125 trillion in economic value that it provides. Each year. This is why they want 30%. They calculated it to $125 trillion. <laughs> this is crazy. It's just, I didn't make that number up. I read it in their documents. <laughs> and it's clear our economies must change the way we do business. Scientific evidence points to a way forward to prevent the mass extinction crisis which entails the protection of a minimum 30% of the planet by 2030. And indigenous peoples and local communities are protectors of the most biodiverse areas in the world. So, the state, the, hang on, before you scroll down. So yeah. they said this, go back up. There you go. So they said, the scientific evidence points to a way forward to prevent this. Okay. I have a scientific method to to prevent it also that's different from theirs stop using chemicals on the soil and the food stop using single source plastic stop using all this digital crypto crap that uses massive amounts of resources go analog and it reduces your carbon footprint anyways right if you want to save the planet um and then stop the poisoning of the air with the chemtrails. Just this morning, I take the dog out. It's a crisp, bright, clear, blue sky. I'm driving around, running errands this morning before you and I start recording. I counted no less than 25 separate chemtrails going across the sky. And by noon, we didn't have that crisp blue sky anymore. It was a white haze, and not <laughs> one cloud has moved in. Funny how they don't mention that as part of this evidence. Science is clear. The scientific evidence is clear. They don't, they don't mention that. Nope, got to do it their way. 